let's pray. We're going to get into the word this morning because oh, I'm watching my clock and, and the time is ticking away. But we don't have to break down so I can preach extra long today. Amen? Because we don't have to break down. No woo on that. Somebody said, woe me. <laughs> woe is me. I've listened to my sermons. They're not that bad. Come on. I have given myself an offering before because they've been so good. And then I'll go to my kids. Hey, <laughs> did y'all hear this? Help me out of here. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this great church. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, you said in Hebrews, you would never leave us. You would never forsake us. Thank you, Hebrews 4. We can boldly approach your throne to find grace and mercy in our time of need. And I just thank you for 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that you are the God of all comfort. And that the, the comfort we receive from you, we can turn around and comfort others. And that's the, the motto of our church, is to have a passion for God and to have compassion for people. Lord, I pray that you awaken compassion on the inside of us. Lord, I pray that our eyes be open to those that are lost and hurting and broken around us. And Lord, this morning, Job twenty three twelve, we esteem your word higher than necessary food. And we have a desire and a hunger for your word. Would you, would you clearly speak to us this morning as we know your desire is? We receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We are in our series called On Your Mark, Get Set, Go. And if you are new today or just visiting in the area, we've been in this series since January. We're hoping to finish before Jesus returns. We are going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we're starting today in chapter 11. If you want to go ahead and dial in your Bibles and open up chapter 11. This has been such a journey. How many of you would say that you have grown and, and seen some things in the Word and, and God is really challenging you through this series? It's, it's been very enlightening to me and I love going verse by verse because it forces me, BJ, it forces me to read the passages I would not otherwise read. It forces me to look at things that maybe I don't have highlighted in my Bible. And this morning is probably one of those passages that doesn't get a lot of attention except once a year we'll see, we'll see uh, Passion Week and as we approach Easter folks will begin to talk about this. But there's a real truth here that we want to see in the, in the Word. So this morning we're in Mark chapter 11. And here's really what we're talking about this morning, responding to the king. Responding to the king. Would you say that with me? Responding to the king. This is such an appropriate message for us this morning, especially in light of the worship time we had and the way God is just drawing us. So how do we respond to the king? And I began to think about royalty, and, and which I am not royalty in the natural. And I began to think about kings and queens. And it's a little bit hard for us to really get a handle on kingdoms and kings and, and royalty and uh, monarchy because we live in America and we live in a democracy. And so we don't live under the rule of a king. But how many you know Americans are just infatuated with royalty? There, I, I did a search on, online. I've, I've typed in Princess Diana the Princess of Wales, and 12 million and 700,000 books came up in about 0.8 seconds. Less than a second. 12 million 700,000 books came up that have been articles or books written and published about Princess Diana, the Princess of Wales. How I many know we have an infatuation with royalty? It's glamorized on television. It's, there's all kinds of movies and episodes and books and TV shows about kings and kingdoms and queens, and there's something about that. And I begin to ask myself, why? Why is this? And I believe one reason is because on the inside of all of us, I believe God puts something on the inside of us that attracts us to royalty and attracts us to a kingdom because he is the king. He operates a kingdom. 
And so we are, we are trying to satisfy a spiritual desire that God put on the inside of us with natural things. And so this morning we're going to, we're going to take a step towards satisfying that longing and that, that affinity with royalty. We're going to take a step towards uh, satisfying that with the things of the Lord. I began to look at what the Apostle Paul wrote about Jesus, and he had a tremendous revelation about Jesus as our King. So while you're holding Mark 11, look on the screen at 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6 says this, and we're going to start in verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. We could stop right there and we could have church. Why do we do what we do? Why do we come in early and sacrifice and set up? And why do we give? And why do we serve? And why do we inconvenience ourselves? Because we serve the God who gives life to all things. And there are dead places in this community. There are dead places in this school. There are dead places even in our families. And God wants to give them life. Look at your neighbor and say, God gives life. And of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pilate. Look at verse 14. So proud of Jazz. She's doing a great job this morning. That you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how long do I have to serve God? How long do I have to sacrifice? How long do I have to be all in until the Lord Jesus comes back? Until you bite the dust? Until we're singing another one bites the dust or until the Lord returns. We must be faithful. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to stay faithful. You must stay faithful. Let me just share something with you this morning in prayer that I kind of sense the Lord just revealing to me in, in a, just in a neat way. Because we, we're here in the school and, and it's a lot of work each weekend. And I know sometimes you may feel weary and like, I don't want to get up another day and do another thing. And I don't, I know Pastor Michael, he's like, I don't want to get there at eight o'clock anymore. And, and we don't really know what our next steps are. We know the Lord has a plan for us, but we're just not sure what that next step is. And, and so, you know, you, do we see a light at the end of the tunnel? And I, I just, this morning, the Lord just reminded me that we are being faithful faithful in what would be a little thing as far as in the kingdom of God. And because of our faithfulness, God will be able to trust us with much, much more. I just sense the Lord in my own heart saying, you're being so faithful in this situation. So you're demonstrating that I can trust you with a bigger burden and I can trust you with a greater thing. If God cannot trust me to give him everything with a hundred people, how can God trust us to reach this community and, and to see the revival that we, we all want to see? How could God trust to, to do that in our area? And in my home and in our midst, if he can't trust me to be faithful with the little that we're doing right now. And so when God is looking for a church to say, who is up to the task? Hey, Emmanuel Assembly, we've been sacrificing. We've been praying. We've been serving. We've not been complaining. We've been, we've, we've been faithful to the calling. And God will say, you have been. And then here is another assignment for you. So let me just encourage you to keep going and to continue being faithful because the Lord will reveal that to us in a great way. Look at verse 15. It says, And He will bring at the proper time. He was blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings. The Apostle Paul knew that our God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, He is esteemed as the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. Look what else he said about this. Look at this revelation he had about Jesus who alone possesses immortality and He dwells in the unapproachable light no man has seen or can see. To Him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Isn't that a good place to say amen? Paul was preaching so good he amened himself. <laughs> 
He said, that's good preaching. Amen. And so I like it. I can identify with the Apostle Paul. So he had this real revelation of Jesus as the king. We won't look at it, but Revelation 1.5 says Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Revelation 19.16 says on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. So Jesus is king. Would you say that with me? Say Jesus is king. Say it like you've had some of this great coffee over here. Ready? Jesus is king. Do we need to take an intermission and get refills of coffee? <laughs> Please, no coffee during the sermon. Bob will trip. That's why Bob sits here. So if you come running up to get coffee, he'll just give you, just, he'll just give you a little leg there. Jesus is the king. So how do we approach the king? How do we approach the Lord? I believe Peter, by the Holy Spirit, shared this with Mark. And now Mark wrote this in this gospel. And now 2,000 years later, we're reading how to approach the king. So let's jump in. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Mark chapter 11 and verse 1. Aren't you glad you don't go to a boring church? Aren't you glad your pastor's not dry and he has such a wonderful sense of humor? Verse 1 says this. I'll just leave it right there. I know you're glad we have a great worship team. Can we encourage those guys? They did such a great job this morning. We really missed Candy. She's resisting a sickness and uh, she is healed in Jesus' name and we will see her next week. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. Now, this is very interesting. Jesus now is making the journey to Jerusalem. Mark chapter 11 starts the last week of the life of Christ on the earth before the crucifixion. And so he's been ministering all on the outskirts of Jerusalem and Judea, and we see him in Galilee. And now he is making his way into the very heart and the very war zone, if you will, of persecution. Do you remember back in John chapter 11, uh, Bethany's an interesting place. Remember Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Remember he had been dead so long that he, the Bible says he stinketh? That's when you turn to the King James and it says he stinketh. Lazarus had been dead so long that he stunk and Jesus was not late. He was right on time and he, he said, Lazarus come forth. And I read one commentator that said if Jesus had just said come forth, all the dead around would have risen. So he said, Lazarus, come forth. And, and Lazarus came forth, and that's Mary and Martha. That's in the town of Bethany. Do you remember when they were going to go there, Thomas said, well, let us go with him that we may die also. Oh, don't you love old doubting Thomas? <laughs> let us go with him that we at least may, he won't die alone. At least he'll have company as he dies. Well, Bethany was on the outskirts of Jerusalem. So as he approaches Jerusalem, it's even more intense. They understand that this is major. This is the final curtain, if you will. This is the last act. The disciples are beginning to realize this thing is coming to an end. They still don't have the full revelation, but they're beginning to see what Jesus had prophesied and what he meant. And so now they, they, they begin to travel on this journey. And we must, we must look past this as just historical. This is, yes, facts, historical, but, but we must internalize and ask the Holy Spirit, really what He wants to say to us. So let's go to verse 2. And then I want to give you my first point this morning on how we approach the King. We're not just looking at this from history, but what is the Holy Spirit saying to us today, 2,000 years later? What can you leave with today? When you leave this auditorium, how does this help you on Monday? As we read Mark 11 to the first thing, number one that you're going to see on the screen is this. The King knows what He's doing. You and I must understand the king knows what he's doing. Look at your neighbor and say, he really does. 
He really does. Now say, tell him, say, the person beside me doesn't have a clue, but, but the king really does know what he's doing. And this is where I see this at in Mark 11 and verse 2. Mark 11 and verse 2. Jesus said to them, go into the village opposite of you, and immediately as you enter, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Now think about this. It's an unbroken colt. Anybody in the house ride horses? Anybody ever ridden an unbroken horse? Anybody ever seen a rodeo? That's basically what this would be. He says, go find a colt that no one has ever sat on, untie it, and bring it here. And then look at verse 3. I love this. This is just, this is so interesting. He said, if anyone says to you, what are you doing? Where are you taking my donkey? What are you doing untying my colt? If anyone says to you, what are you doing? Then just say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he'll send it back here. So basically, in modern times, I want you to go down to UT campus. I want you to find a shiny new red sports car. I want you to get in it and, and drive it back. And if the owners come out and chase you down, say, don't worry about it. Jesus needs it. I'll bring it back polished and full of gas. <laughs> this is what's happening here in this story. Him and know that's called auto theft. Jesus said, go get this colt. No one has ever ridden on it, and I want you to bring it to me. So this brings us to point number one. The king knows what he's doing. Jesus gave the disciples this decree. He gave them this command. And they, they had to, in their mind, question, what does he mean? What is he doing? I've seen Jesus do a lot of interesting stuff, but this takes the cake. What is he doing? How many times has the Lord asked you to do something and you know in your heart that it's the Lord? Now, nothing weird, nothing goofy, nothing outside of God's word, but it's been confirmed by two or three witnesses. Just like when Pastor Michael and, and Candy were going to be foster parents and they were praying about it and, and it didn't make a lot of sense in the natural. It was really not good timing. He would probably tell you that his family was going through some things with his mother and his, his ministry on the... His, Interstate ministry is changing and shifting times. And the Lord sent a man to him at Chick-fil-A that he didn't even know and says, that thing the Lord's been speaking to you about, go ahead and do it. And on the, the, on the outside, on the natural, it could be, what is up? But how many you know the king knows what he's doing? We must get to the place where when God speaks to us that we say, okay, Jesus knows what he's doing. The way I approach the king is that he knows what he is doing. Sometimes God does things in our life in a very non-traditional way. Sometimes the Lord leads us in ways that don't make quite as much sense logically. But as long as it's the Lord and, it's, and we're getting counsel and we know the Lord is speaking to us, we can be sure that the king really does know what he is doing. This was so out of the ordinary what Jesus was telling them to do. Now this is Zechariah 9.9. He's fulfilling a prophecy. And this is something I want to say here. The disciples, had they have known their Bible, they would have known what was happening. Because it was prophesied back in Zechariah. Check it out here. I think it's on the screen. It says, Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, Zechariah said, I see the king coming. He's not on a white horse. He's on a donkey. And then when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he says, Go get a colt. The foal of a donkey. How many know God put this thing together? How many know the king knows what he is doing? That's a good place to say amen. So I know I'm not up here all by myself. I may have to get a high five, Gail. I'm just getting fired up. The king knows what he's doing. I can look at times in my life when the Lord has led me here or led me there. 
or had me do this or had me do that. And it's like, well, that makes absolutely no sense. But thank God the king knows what he is doing. So Mark 11, verse 2 and 3. Jesus said, go, get the colt. The Lord has need of it, and immediately he'll bring it back. So that brings me to the second point in this message, the second way we approach the king. Number two, see it on the screen. The king wants to work with you. Jesus could have gone and obtained his own donkey. Jesus could have gone and and picked it up and picked it out and brought it back. But he chose to use the disciples. He chose to work with people. How does God do things in the earth? Anybody else besides Gail awake? How does God do things in the earth? How does God change a community? Amen. He changes me. The Spirit of God is alive on the inside of me. And now, how does God bring healing to people? Because He wants to use me to pray for people and lay hands on the sick. And how does God, how does God lead people to salvation? It doesn't the Bible say it's through the preaching of the Word? It's not just through good deeds. It's through preaching. God wants to work with you. Not only does God want to work with you, but He's chosen to only work through you. Now, the Holy Spirit is, I understand there are times when someone is really drawn by the Holy Spirit and I understand that there's conviction and that sometimes people find the Lord apart from human interaction. But as far as any great work in the earth, God uses men. What does it say in Luke 6? Give and, and God will give back to you? Is that what it says? Y'all are like, I don't know, I've not read that scripture in a long time. What does it say? It says, give and it shall be given back unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give back unto you. If God's going to give Rick Mills money, he's going to use BJ to do it. How many of y'all sense that prophecy right now? Hallelujah. If God's going to bless me, he's going to use Bob and Gail to do it. Amen. God doesn't rain money down from heaven. Has anybody ever seen money rain down from heaven? If you have, don't tell us because you're a little weird, okay? We love you, but that's not the kind of people we want in our church that are seeing money raining down from heaven. So God doesn't just rain down from... Has God ever just physically came and hugged you? But at a time of loss and grieving and pain, who hugs you? One of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Has God ever encouraged you with a high five? No. But... Through your loving, sweet pastor who is flowing in the Lord, God just gave you a high five. Right there it is. Didn't you feel encouraged? See, they feel so encouraged. I want a high five, pastor. You should sit on the first or second row. I'm not about to walk back there. I'm fine right here. So God loves people through people. God ministers to people through people. The king wants to work with you. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 3, 9. I want you to see this. We are fellow workmen. We are fellow laborers. We are joint promoters, laborers together with and for God. I do not just work for God. I don't mean it offensive for those that say I'm just working for the Lord. I would honestly tell you in one sense, quit working for the Lord and start working with the Lord. The reason you hate what you're doing and you feel frustrated and like you can't get it done is because you're working for the Lord. God says, I never called you to just work for me. I called you to work with me. I'm working with the Lord. I'm working with and for the Lord, not just for. I work for my boss. But if he's helping me on a, a situation or helping me on a file Helping me get it in underwriting and we're solving problems together. I'm not just working for, I'm working with. Say it with me, say, I'm working with the Lord. So the king wants to work with you. God used his disciples. So many people, if you would look at me for just a second, I want to see your eyes. So many people feel like they have nothing to give the Lord. 
So many people feel so inadequate that they have nothing to bring to Jesus. But God wants to work with you. He made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Say this to me, Sam. Fearfully and wonderfully made. God wants to work with me. You know, why would, this, why would these people hire me? I'm not qualified. Why would this so-and-so get me to do this? I'm not qualified. Why would the king of kings want to work with you? We're not qualified. We are. God wants to work with us. We are co-laborers with the Lord. Now, why does many people not accept that invitation? Because they feel inadequate. But it ain't about you. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, it ain't about you. Some of you husbands and wives have been wanting to say that for a long time. It ain't about you. It's about God wanting to work with us. All right, number three. Is this good? Is this helping anybody? All right. It's helping me if it's not helping you. Number three, check this out. You are not always, you may not always understand the king's commands. You may not always understand the king's commands. Look at Mark 11 and verse 4. It says, so they went away and they found a colt tied at the door outside of the street. They untied it. Verse 5. Some of the bystanders, is the owners, were, came and, and sang to him. Mark eleven five. It says, what are you doing untying the colt? In verse 6, it says this, they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. Not only did everything Jesus say came to pass, but the, act, the people actually said, oh, okay, well, if that's what you need, then go ahead and take it. And so we, 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 we come to this place in our walk with God that, that we may not always understand what the king is saying. Doesn't Isaiah 55 and 9 say this? Don't you recall what this says in Isaiah 55 and 9? It says, For as far as the heavens are, are higher than the earth... So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Doesn't the Bible teach us that, that we may not always understand exactly what God is asking us, but when, when, when were you called? Who gave you the pretense that you have to understand everything God wants to do? Where's the faith in that if you can see everything that you have to do? What doesn't, doesn't the Bible say we walk by faith and not by sight? Yes, get wisdom. Yes, get counsel. Yes, get confirmation. But God may be calling you and challenging you to do something powerful and you may not always understand. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I've only got 15 of these points. Isn't that good news? I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. I just have 13. But the natural... Check this out. It's 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural, non-spiritual man does not accept or welcome or admit into his heart the gifts and teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God. Hemido, that's, that is true. That is true, true, true. People that are not born again, they're not new creations in Christ, they do not understand spiritual things, and, and it's just it goes over their head, and they think it's foolishness. It says, for them they are folly. To them they're meaningless. To me, when, when God is moving in our midst and, and, and the scripture talks about anointing people with oil and we see someone healed, to me that is beautiful because God is showing his love to people. But to those outside of the church, it is folly. It is foolishness. It is meaningless, nonsense. He is incapable of knowing them. Unless the Holy Spirit illuminates and reveals these things, the, un, the unchurched, the unregenerated are not even capable of progressively recognizing and understanding and becoming better acquainted with because they are spiritually, look at this next screen, they are, they are, not, they are, they are spiritually discerned and estimated and appreciated. Catch this here. The things of God are spiritually discerned. 
When I'm preaching to you and God is hitting you in different ways, that's spiritually discerned. It says in verse 15, but the spiritual man. Do I have any spiritual people in the house today? But the spiritual man and the spiritual woman, meaning we don't have to understand everything. There, there is a time when God leads us and we just know in our spirit. It's confirmed in our spirit. It may not be logical. It may not make sense. We may not understand it. But it is confirmed in our spirit. The spiritual man tries all things. We test the spirits. It says we investigate, we examine, we inquire. Listen, when I preach to you on Sundays, don't just take what I'm preaching. You take it and you get into the Word for yourself and you read it and you check it out and you make sure that I'm not just putting stuff on the screen. That's why you need to bring your Bibles to church. I appreciate you trusting me, but don't just blindly trust what I say. You take it and you weigh it and you say, Lord, you're the God. You got us into all truth. Guide me into the truth here. Pastor James was preaching this morning and talking and I don't understand this, Lord. Show me the truth here. We must examine. We must investigate. We must inquire. We must question. We must discern all things. Yet this spiritual man... It says if he is to be put on trial and judged by no one, meaning, meaning the, the, this, what this means is the unchurched, they can't condemn me. I'm not open to their criticism because I'm walking by the Spirit and not by just my natural flesh. So we may not always understand moves of God or what God is doing, but it doesn't have to make sense just in life because it makes sense in the Spirit. Amen? Are you getting this? hope this is helping you today. Now, it needs to go with the Bible. If you're married, God's not going to call you to leave your spouse to go get another spouse. Can I have an amen? God, God's not going to call you. As Bob, as Bob pushes the offering plate, God's not going to call you to reach in and take money out and put it in your pocket. You're supposed to be putting money in. I don't care how you felt. That's not what you're supposed to do. Can I have an amen? God will never lead you apart from his word. Now look at number four as we kind of work on landing this plane. I want you to see this. Not only are we going to realize that the king knows what he's doing and we're going to know that the king wants to work with us and we're going we're gonna to accept that we may not always understand what the Lord is doing in our midst, but, but we're not going to wait to understand it, to, to flow and go in the way the Lord wants us to go. Number four, we're going to realize that we should approach the king with praise. So now Jesus is on the donkey. He's riding in. Pick up on the story in verse 7, Mark 11. In verse 7. Mark 11 says they brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it and he sat on it. Notice this here. Notice this esteem, this worship. They're trying to honor the Lord. And many spread their coats on the road and others spread leafy branches. You know you see kids on Palm Sunday waving the palm branches and this is where they get that. This is that tradition. This happened every year. This was a major Jewish tradition. It happened for over a hundred years. They'd been doing this procession as, as all these pilgrims came into Jerusalem for the feast of the Passovers but this time was different. This time all the disciples and followers of Christ were there and they had this Jesus had this big throng of people and they all began to just spontaneously begin to worship and as they were doing something that was very patriotic that was a, a national custom the, the Lord began to move in that as a very prophetic sense this was, this was not just a man this was for the Messiah and this became prophecy fulfilled notice this here it says and they took leafy branches which they cut from the fields in verse 9 can't you just see Jesus riding in on the donkeys on the, 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 the donkey and the coats there And it says they went in front and those who followed were shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord would you say Hosanna? 
Hosanna. It means welcome. We welcome your presence. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. We should welcome the king, not only with the understanding that he understands and knows what he's doing, and we may not always understand, but we should approach the king with praise. <clears throat> we should approach the king with worship and honor. That's what we did for just a few moments this morning. But it's not just worship is not just what we do on Sunday mornings. Do you guys do understand that we call it the worship time? But you understand that worship is not what we just do on Sunday mornings. You know, this morning when I when I arose from the bed and it was about a little bit after six o'clock, I just began to worship and pray in the spirit and thank the Lord. I was worshiping. I was entering the gates with uh, praise and thanksgiving. And I wasn't I didn't have a band, I didn't have a microphone, but I was giving the Lord praise and honor. We should approach the king. Remember the, the, what's called the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer there in Matthew chapter 6. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus, in that, in that prayer, he's, you know, he's, they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, forgive us our sins and our debtors. As we, you know, Jesus didn't have any sins. Can I have amen? So it wasn't the Lord's Prayer. That was the, the prayer that Jesus prayed to teach the disciples a model of how they could pray. The first thing he said is, is hallowed be thy name. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He began his prayer with worship. And when we approach the king... We must have the protocol. There is protocol. If my kids run up to me and start demanding a new bicycle, Dad, I want a new bicycle. Dad, I've not seen them all day. I come in from work, and the first thing they do is hit me with they need a new bicycle. I'm not going to be very inclined to go down to Target and buy them a bicycle. But if they come up and hug me, oh, Daddy, we love you. We've just missed you today. And if they start playing with my beard and, and braiding my hair and, and just loving on me and here's some chocolate. And, oh, Dad, look, I drew a picture for you. And, oh, Dad, I, I cleaned your office today. And, by the way, can I have a bicycle? Anything you want, son, anything you want. Here's the credit card and the keys to the car. Just don't wreck and fill it up with gas. But when you come back, and have you know, it's a lot easier to get something if, if you approach it from that sense. But now... We can't just approach God as king because we just want something. We approach God as king because we love him. He is our father. And it's of a genuine heart that our heart is extended towards the Lord. We must approach the Lord with praise. I want us to flip over to Luke 19. This is the same passage, same event. It's a parallel passage. But Luke really brings something out here that I want us to focus on. I think you'll have it on the screen some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Those church people are praising too loud. She's, she, she's getting a little bold over there. She's, you know, she's, she's raising her hands too much. You know, you know, there's all kinds of different hand raises in church. I was watching a video about this the other day, and uh, Tim Hawkins has it. You know, there's the, the carry the TV, and you know, there's the washing the windows. And he, Google it, Tim Hawkins on hand raising church. It's actually really funny. There's my fish was this big, and he just he goes into all this stuff, and it's, it's really funny. But we look at someone, and they're just passionate about worship, and they're passionate about praise, and we kind of, oh, what are they doing? You do not know what they've been through. To worship like they're worshiping. Never criticize someone's worship. You don't know how broken they've been and how the Lord has restored them. You don't know how lonely they were and now they've found peace in the, in the Prince of Peace. So we should approach the king out of praise. Look at this. Some of the Pharisees said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're being too loud. They're making a commotion. They're blocking traffic. And look what happens in verse 40. Jesus said, I am not going to do that. If I tell these to become silent, the stones will cry out. Why? 
because we approach the king 